Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. We've been looking at the last five weeks um, at this idea of the missional life, of living missionally uh, on purpose, with intentionality, looking at the fact that God's called us, the fact that he has a plan for us, he has a purpose for us, he has a divine will for us, he has certain ways that he speaks to us and works with us, and uh, today is, is kind of the culmination of this study to say, what does that look like in action? What do these things look like when you put skin on them? And I believe they look like, and we're going to see here through the examples of of Joseph and of Peter, they look like a bold and compassionate faith, living boldly and compassionately at the same time. Is it difficult to do? Yes, it's difficult to do. But is it doable for each of us? Yes, it is. And it will look different for each of us. Um, Got a question, though, I want to ask you as we begin, and that's this. Have you ever observed brashness and confused it for boldness? They're different things. Brashness is off-putting. Brashness is offensive. Brashness is, it creates distance. Boldness usually seldom does. Boldness, what usually follows boldness is, is some level of admiration, some level of respect, some level of even I wish I had the desire for that. I wish I had the heart for that. I wish I had the, enough confidence and enough, uh, enough fortitude in, in, in who I am, believing strongly enough in what I believe that I could say that too or I could, I could be that or I could do that too. Uh, don't ever confuse brashness with boldness because brashness, in my opinion at least, and, and feel free to make it yours, brashness has no place in the kingdom. It really doesn't. But boldness has every place in every walk of life. And we're going to see today a couple of great examples of that. Turn to Genesis chapter 41. As I said, we're going to look at the the model of Joseph and the model of Peter, both of whom um, God used in different ways, but both of whom exercised both boldness and compassion within the same walk. Genesis chapter 41, we're going to look at verses 14 to 16 and then drop down and look at verse 39 together. So Genesis 41, 14 says... So Pharaoh, now, now you know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, threw him into a pit. Uh, the Egyptians come by and pull him out of the pit, and God takes him from the, from the pit to the palace. I mean, that's the story of Joseph's life. And so we're, we're, we're in, the, in the palace mode here where Joseph has already been redeemed and his brothers and his family have already gone back to Canaan. So verse 14, so, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He had shaved his head or shaved and changed his clothes and he came before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And look down at verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
This is a bold move on Joseph's part because he comes from the dungeon. He's been placed in the dungeon because of a false accusation with Potiphar's wife. And so he's, he finds himself here in the dungeon and has a, has, if, you, if you know the story, has a conversation in the dungeon with the, with the king's cupbearer. And, and, and so he, he says, you know, we'll mention, I'll mention you to the king when I get out. And so he gets out, of course, forgets all about Joseph. But in, in the process of, of Pharaoh's dreams, and he's seeking somebody in the palace to, bring, to make some sense of his dreams, what's going on. And so uh, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph, he told us what our dreams were in, in, the, in the dungeon. There was this guy down there, a Canaanite in the dungeon, and revealed to us what, what, what these dreams meant. There's a, there's a guy that can do this. So he has Joseph brought out of the dungeon. Brought before him says, I've heard that you can, you can tell dreams and tell what's, what, what the meaning of these things are. And, and Joseph does the boldest thing he's done in his walk, says, I can't do that. <laughs> Ensuring probably in, in saying, no, I can't do that, his trip back to the dungeon. You'll consider the fact that here's the king, and I've got my ticket out of the dungeon here, whether I can do this or not. My ticket out of the dungeon is to tell him something that will, will make sense to him about the dream. So there was this temptation, I'm sure, in Joseph's heart, as, as it would be in your heart and my heart if we were in the dungeon, to, to find any way to get out. So, sure, I'll tell you what your dream means. What is it? I'll, let me hear it. I'll tell you it means this and this, and whether it does or not, I'm out of the dungeon. But Joseph doesn't do that. He said, no, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do that. I cannot tell you that, he says. But God can. My God can give you the, the, the desire of your heart in explaining your dream to you. In essence, to say, I got nothing to do with this. This is all God. Uh, he, was, he was risking his own march back to, back to the dungeon, but resisted the idea to make himself look good. See that? Boldness never does that. Boldness is never about us. It's always about God in us. And that was Joseph's example here to Pharaoh. Here's something else I want you to see, too, is that there was, there was no brashness here in, in, in Joseph's approach to Pharaoh because boldness, get this, boldness has nothing to do with who is speaking the loudest. Boldness has to do with who is speaking the truth. And that's what, that's what this, this first point is. Boldness always looks like the truth. It always looks like the truth. It's never about who's speaking the loudest or who's the most, who's the most convincing or who's the most persuasive. Boldness is about truth and not about brashness. It's about truth and not about, not about making ourselves elevated to, to the extent that we, we are the story and we become the story. It's never about us. It's about someone else. It's about the Lord. I cannot, he says, but God will give you the answer. I'm going to tell you, according to this book, and according to, to, what, to what Joseph says today, the answers to life, the answer to all truth, lies in the pages of this book. And I, and I say that to you unashamedly because I've put it to the test. I've seen it generationally. I've seen it for multi-generations in my family. This book being applied, and every time it's applied, it works every time. It doesn't just contain truth. It is truth. Um, our, our world would have us believe different. Our, our world would have us believe that, that truth is relative. The truth is, this is a popular term now. It's a politically correct term to use. I'm going to talk about political correctness in a minute. But the truth is evolving. Have you heard that? The, the, the truth is relative and it's, it, it's evolving. Uh, and I will tell you, truth doesn't evolve. Truth is truth, period. Whether, whether we, we believe it, whether we agree with it, whether we look like it, whether we adhere to it, truth is truth. Uh, and truth always finds its way to, to where it needs to go. It's, it's, it's our greatest weapon against the enemy. Our greatest weapon against the enemy is the truth of this book. I remember back in the early 90s, uh, back in the old Cornerstone days, for those of you that were there, I, I got a call from, from a gal that says, 
I have a friend who is demon-possessed. Would you go visit her? I said, sure. Where's she at? She gives me her, her address in this apartment, and it's not far from the church, and, and she's in a bad place today. Can you visit her right now? I said, sure. So <clears throat> I grab my Bible. She meets me at this apartment of her friend. We walk into this apartment of her friend. She's, the, the place stinks. It reeks of, of body odor, and, and, and she, this, this gal, is, is, uh, she's about probably mid-late 20s and is sweating all over and, and looks at me and, and, and there's just kind of this, this glaze and fire in her eyes. And so and she's walking back and forth and pacing in the room. And, and to, when I walked inside the door, she just got totally uncomfortable. Felt like a, you know, a, a cat in a room of rocking, tail, rocking chairs. And so she was, just, she was just pacing back and forth. And I opened up the scripture to the book of John. And I start reading. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word, no, no, no. And just coming, coming back against the scripture, and it was, it was this kind of, kind of what you've seen in the Exorcist almost, this male-like voice coming out of a female. No, no, no. And I kept reading, and I kept reading, and I kept reading, and I kept reading. And the brokenness, uh, it, it, it was probably about a, I'm not going to give you the, the, the whole scene there, it was probably about a 20 to 30 minute process of me reading scripture. <clears throat> and and the deliverance that happened in this in this young gal's heart because the demons had to flee, the demons fled the room that day, and it was it was nothing I did. It was I'm, I'm gonna tell you it was the word the power of the word of God. I was just reading scripture, and the enemy can't deal with scripture. He just can't deal with truth. And the demons fleed her body that day. Oh, I wasn't physical. I couldn't see it, but I could feel it in, in that room. I could feel the, the the demonic influence leave that room. In fact, I I went over and opened the door. That's how palatable it was to me. I went over and opened it because I, I could sense the demonic presence in the room. And I went over and opened the door and kept read, reading. And I could, I could see and feel and sense almost the demons leave the room. And she just kind of collapsed on the couch. And her, her countenance was totally different. And, and, the, and that story ends well because she ends up coming to Christ that day. But the power of the word of God over the enemy is, is real. And we seldom get it. We seldom see it to say, how can I do this? How can I win? How can I? And we, we win with truth. We win with the truth of the word of God. He cannot deal with it. And his, his own, cannot deal with it either. There are many demonic influences in our world today, and they are rampant. And they are, they are seems like, oftentimes having free reign. You know what, how you come against the free reign of demonic influence in our culture? With the scripture, with the word of God, with the truth of his word. And Joseph got that. He understood, I can't do this. I can't tell you, I can't interpret the dream, but God can give you the answer he, desire, he desires. And Joseph tells the truth that day instead of the convenient truth for him to get him out of the dungeon. Well, sure, I'll tell you what you want to know. What do you want to hear? <laughs> the real truth that day was, I can't do this. God can, and he always can, and he always will. Boldness always looks like the truth. Let's look at uh, Peter's example. Turn to, to Acts chapter 4, and I want you to, to see... Uh, Peter was, Peter was a bold guy just in, just in, in and of his, the nature of his personality. And uh, you remember the story of, of uh, or, or several stories about Peter, but you remember the story of, of his cutting off the servant's ear in the, in, in the garden when Jesus was praying the, night before his, or the day before his crucifixion. And you remember the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration praying there, and Peter, James, and John are slightly down the hill, and 
And they see the glory of God up on the hill. Peter says, let's build some tabernacles out here. Come on. And let's, I mean, just the zeal. Let's do something. Something's got to be done here. Let's do something together. And that was kind of the nature of, of how Peter operated. His, his personality, he wanted to do something. Wanted to, wanted to capture the moment. And, uh, and, and for it to never leave and to kind of hold it sacred. But here we see a flavor of, of that as well, that boldness in Peter in, in Acts chapter 4. Look with me at, uh, at, at verses thir- verse 13, and then we'll drop down to verse 27 and look at a few, few extra verses there. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished that they took note that these men, and I love this phrase, these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now drop down to verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. This is Peter speaking. Whom you anointed, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's Peter praying and Peter speaking. Boldness, this we're going to see through, through his actions here, boldness is seldom politically correct. Boldness is seldom politically correct. Peter was in the face of the political bigwigs of his day and stood in their face to say, um, Here's what you have done. You have crucified Jesus. You have, you have accused him falsely. You've crucified him. You've put him to death. And you and yours, in essence, this, this, is, this is his statement there before uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate. And so he, he speaks of their actions politically and says, you're the one that killed him. You're the one that put him to death. But here's what he has done. And, and, after, and, and it's just this, uh, the scripture says there in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were was shaken. Um, but he... Uh, the scripture says here, he considered their threats. Peter considered their threats and spoke and speak with great boldness in spite of their threats. And, and they threatened to throw him in jail. In fact, they end up do throwing him in jail here. And, and God brings him out of jail in the middle of the night miraculously. Uh, but but he, he, he realized and considered their threats of, of jail time for himself and for those with him, but spoke boldly even in the midst of their threats. You and I are the attempt is being made on your faith and my faith and your tongue and my tongue to keep us silent in the marketplace with our faith. In fact, I believe that you, what you, you and I have seen and are seeing in our generation is a shift from Christians being marginalized to Christians being uh, uh, really un- under the state of persecution. I think we're beginning to see the onset of Christian persecution. Our faith has been marginalized, or attempted at least to be marginalized by our culture for years. And, and in fact, for decades, I think since probably the early 60s. The, the move has, has, has been afoot to marginalize your influence and marginalize my influence in the marketplace and, and with our faith publicly. You guys, can, it's okay. You guys keep that in the church. Keep that in the buildings where you meet on Sunday. And don't ever let that penetrate your job. Don't ever let that penetrate the, the bank. Don't ever let it penetrate the grocery store. Don't ever let it penetrate the beauty shop. Don't ever let it penetrate the ball field. You just keep that stuff inside the church and we're all good. And I think it's, I think it's shifted from marginalizing our faith to now uh, trying to, to thwart and, and, and trying to suppress uh, Christian influence in our culture. Um, people weren't offended years ago by the Ten Commandments on a courthouse. They're offended today. And, and, and they're, they're offended to the extent that not only do they want it down there, 
They want your influence and my influence of about, about those laws and the things that, the script, that His Word says down in every conversation, down in every situation. There is, there is a, and, and let me say this, and I, and I say this without any reservation, and it's judgment on you and I, but I, I believe it's still true. I believe politically correctness is pervasive as it is in your day and in my day because of you and me. I think we've allowed it. I think we've incrementally allowed it to occur without standing up and saying, no, that's wrong. This is right in this situation, and here is wrong in this situation. And according to the truth of God's word, this is, in, this is, this is bad, this is wrong, this is sinful, this is worldly, this is ungodly. And according to God's word, this is... The, the, so I think we have, and I don't think it's been intentional. As I said, I believe that's how the enemy always works, is by incrementally. He works over a process of time just to, to nip away here and nip away there and where we feel a little bit more guilty about saying this and a little bit more self-conscious about going there and a little bit more reserved about, about doing this. And then over time, we find ourselves years later thinking, what happened to my fire? I mean, I, I had fire in my heart for, for the Lord when I was a teenager or when I was in my early 20s. or when I, What happened to my fire? And incrementally, the enemy has, has taken a not, not a not a fire hose, like these guys pull up to the to the. He's, he's taking a drip of water, and over years and over time, has put out the fire. And we find ourselves years later, decades later, wondering what happened to that. And we're in the middle of politi- political correctness to where we're so intimidated and, and and are made to feel guilty for standing up for Jesus every once in a while, saying this is right. This is the right thing to do, and that's a wrong thing to do in our culture. And, and, and what we're doing with, with our school system or what we're doing on college campuses or what we're doing, there's right and wrong to some of these things. And so the, the rightness and wrongness can't be dulled over and can't be grayed out. There's, there's still some black and white in our culture. And you and I, I believe as believers, as the church, this is the indictment on the church, I believe we've allowed that to happen. I don't believe we intended to. I don't believe we set out to say, you know what? Whatever, whatever. Just believe whatever you want to. As long as you're sincere, it's all good. I don't think we ever intended to do that, but it's just been a drip at a time. Where Satan has squelched our influence <clears throat> and has said, you know what? Political correctness is more important than your faith. It's more important than your influence. It's more important that you be received well and how you're perceived and really what you really are. Uh, so let's keep that under wraps. You just keep that to yourself. It's all good but keep it inside the church and keep that among your Christian friends. Y'all love each other and hug each other and encourage each other and pray for each other and bring somebody food when somebody dies. And y'all love on each other, but don't let that penetrate the marketplace. Don't let that penetrate the job. That's offensive. We don't want to offend anybody, do we? Sometimes truth is offensive, whether we like it or not. I don't like it either. But, you know, when my, when my mom would go out and grab one of those yellow forsythia bush switches off of the, and make me go out and pick it, because the truth that I had done something I wasn't supposed to. That's why we don't have Prosythia bushes at our house today. I hate Prosythia bushes. Because to me, that's, it, 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 I see red marks on the back of my legs when I see Prosythia bushes. But I had to deal with the truth that I had done something wrong. And the consequence of, of that truth was <laughs> across the back of my, my, back of my legs. Da, da, da. And it's painful sometimes. Truth hurts, doesn't it? But it's still truth. Whether it feels good or whether it hurts, we still, we, still, we still need to hear it, and, and we shouldn't allow uh, political correctness to, to, to gauge how we deal with that, by, by which we keep our mouths shut or not. Here's a question I want to pose to you before we, before we move on to the next thing, and that is, um, what have you ever risked for the sake of the gospel? 
Have you ever risked anything in your life for the sake of the gospel? And what does that look like if you have? What risk did you take and what was the result of it? Was the risk worth it or did the risk come back and slap you in the face? I would submit to you probably your story, your story, that each of our stories in this room of, of a time maybe in our faith when we were willing to risk more than we're willing to risk today. And when we did risk more, I think story after story, we'd hear God really honored that. He honored that testimony in that moment to that person. And I didn't know, I didn't know how they would receive that, but God honored that, and he used that in a miraculous way. I think story after story, we'd see that the more we risk, the more God does. The more we step out there with our faith, the more he ends up using it. And the less we end up looking like uh, the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. If you can go back and read that story where, to where God says, you know, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you would, I wish you would decide who you want to be. Would you, would you nail a stake down of I'm with him or I'm against him? I wish you were. But because you, because you straddle the fence and because you're lukewarm and because you're just so mushy and you're so mealy mouth, you make me want to puke. That's what Revelation 3 says. You make me want to throw up. That, that's sickening to me. And, and so I, I really believe our culture is looking for, and, and I believe it's, um, in fact, uh, Doc and I had a conversation yesterday with Pastor Wynn that, that the contrast in our culture is increasing, not decreasing. There's greater contrast between the kingdom and the culture than there ever was. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's sad that the contrast is greater. I think it's sad some of the directions we've taken in recent years and some of the directions we've taken in recent weeks as a culture. But the contrast is growing greater and greater and greater. And I'm going to tell you, those in the mushy middle in our culture, and there's, there's millions of them, those in the mushy middle are having, we're going to have a great opportunity to see Jesus is real or he isn't. This works or it doesn't. Redefining family is a good thing or it's not. They're going to see that by how we, you and I handle our faith, by whether we live it boldly and compassionately at the same time. That's where we move into this compassion idea. And this, this is really, this, this idea of a bold, compassionate faith is really around this idea of balance. Of you and I, you, you and I living with a sense of balance that, that we will not be squelched and we will not be silenced. Yet, our faith needs to be loving and it needs to be compassionate. It needs to come across to people apart from brashness. As I said, brashness doesn't look like boldness. Turn back to, to, to Genesis verse 45 or chapter 45, rather, and I want you to see this, another example here of, of Joseph. But this idea of balance is, is not something that I thought up. This is biblical. He's, listen to what he says in Ephesians 4 to Paul to this Ephesian church. He says, Then we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, watch this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, that, that is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we grow into maturity into him. In essence, speaking the truth in love helps us look like Christ because he did that perfectly. He spoke the truth in love perfectly. And that's what we are designed to do is to walk this balance. Okay, let's look back at Joseph's example here. Again, in, in Genesis chapter 45, uh, verse, verses 1 to 7. He says, and Joseph could no longer control himself before, before all of his ten, attendants. And he cried, and this is his brothers now were brought before him. And he could have had them killed in the moment um, because they had, they had done something against the king's rule. He could have had them killed in, in the moment or had them thrown in the dungeon. But they're standing before him. And Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there had been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be uh, not, no plowing nor reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Sent me ahead to save your lives by great deliverance. This is, these were the very brothers that, that disowned their own little brother and threw him into a pit and walked off and left him. And he had every opportunity and in, an anim, in a spirit of animosity, as I said, could have had them killed, had the power to do that, or certainly <clears throat> could have had him thrown into the dungeon. He does neither. He bought, he's moved by their presence and says there in, in that last verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And what a picture that is of our being motivated by deliverance. Compassion is motivated by deliverance. Always is. Um, Joseph was moved to deliverance because of one thing. His compassion for his brothers. His compassion for his, and for his father, for his family in general. And that comp- compassion moved him to be a, a deliverer instead of a judge. Um, we can't be motivated by people's condition. We can't be motivated by their behavior. Uh, we can't be motivated by their mind. Uh, we need to be motivated by the condition of their soul. Our motivation to have compassion on them needs to be for the condition of their soul, not for their opinions. We may disagree with their opinions and sometimes not for their behavior. We can look at their behavior and say, good luck, hope that works out for you. We need to be motivated to compassion by the condition, seeing the condition of their soul. Is that hard to do? Yeah, it's hard to do. It's hard to get past the surface sometimes with folks, isn't it? to see what's deeper, to see what's causing that, to see where this come from, perhaps from childhood, perhaps from even abuse, perhaps from things we don't even know anything about. Yet here we, here we are standing in judgment over their behavior when sin is sin and our sin is just as bad as their sin. Let me go ahead and say right now that, 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 that uh, there's same-sex marriage and the homosexual, homosexual agenda is on the forefront of people's minds today. And I'm going to tell you, your sin of lying, your sin of cheating, your sin of gluttony, your sin is just as bad as their sin of homosexuality. That's not my deal, and I don't struggle with it, but I struggle with other things, and you do too. That's why we need to be compassionate to folks around us who don't know Jesus and are, and are trying to figure out, does he work? Is there anything besides judgment? Judgment's coming, and it's real. That's what the truth tells us. But, but there's a season of grace, and we're in it, and we need to maximize it. And, and, and compassion is the vehicle to maximizing that, that whole season of grace um, these guys deserved judgment. His brothers deserved judgment that day. What they got was deliverance instead of judgment. You and I deserve judgment too. But in order to see, see our, our culture in a different way, we've got to look through a different lens. We've got to look through a lens that's eternal. We've got to look through a lens that's compassionate. We've got to look through a lens that looks like Jesus did and sees people to the heart and not just to the surface of what's there on the surface. Because what's there on the surface may look like intimidation. It may look like we didn't come to take sides. We came to take over. It may look like a lot of things that's offensive to you, but often what's deep behind that is brokenness. It's questioning about, I know this is wrong, but I will not admit it to the culture for, to, to, if it saves me. I'll, I'll just never do it. 
because I've, I've fought for this for so long. I've, I've, I've taken this stance. And so to see them differently, to behave differently, to have compassion, we've got to look through a different lens. And that's a harder thing to do. I realize that. But the difference between one lens and the other, the, the lens of judgment and the lens of compassion, the, the, or deliverance, the, the lens there is, is compassion. And so we've got, to, we've got to see through an eternal lens. Jesus did this perfectly. And John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The total embodiment of truth, the total embodiment of grace. That's, you and I, that's how you and I are supposed to model this life of balance, of boldness and compassion. At the same time, what does compassion look like? It looks a lot like grace. It looks a lot like grace. It looks like, a lot like giving beyond what someone deserves. You know why? Because it's been given to you beyond what you deserve. Grace has been poured into your life far beyond what you deserve, any of us deserve. And that's what he's called us to, is to give grace beyond where it's deserved, beyond where it even looks like it'll make any difference at all. You think, grace won't matter to this person with, the, with how arrogant their spirit is. You just try it and see. Apply grace to a situation and see God use it in a way that's miraculous and you never dreamed he would do before. Compassion looks a lot like grace. Back to Acts. And let's look at Peter's example one more time to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> says this, And Peter began to speak. I now realize, and this is, this is after Peter's revelation on the roof of Cornelius' house, that God wanted the message, the gospel, to go to the Gentiles. Peter struggled with that as a Jew. He struggled with that whole vision. But he, through, through, through the conversation of Cornelius and the leadership of God's Spirit, Here's where Peter comes to. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation, who from every culture, in essence, accepts men from every nation, every culture, who fear him and do what is right. I now see this, he says. I now realize how true it is that God wants the message to go to every culture. He wants the message to go to people that I hated, people that I despised, people that I was trained and, and, and brought, up, brought up to loathe. And, and God wants them, I've now realized that Peter says, you know what changed his view? It begins with a different view. Compassion begins with a different view. You know what changed his view? Compassion. What changed his view on where he was brought up and what he was told and what he was taught as a young Jewish boy was changed by compassion. What happened on Cornelius' roof and what happened with the conversation with Cornelius and with the spirit along the way to Cornelius' house was God began to speak to Peter and he began to change his heart about things and he began to help him see these people are lost. The Gentiles are lost. And they deserve the gospel too, just as much as you. And the compassion that Peter realized for them, I've now, I've now come to realize, he says, that they, they deserve the gospel too. These other cultures, these other, these other belief systems, these, other, these guys that I hated only days ago, taught to hate only days ago, now need the gospel. I realize their need for him. Peter's mind was changed because what he was seeing God do. He was seeing God do some miraculous things, and he did in the room before he left. Saw God do some miraculous things. The Spirit comes down on the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. Peter said, he shares the gospel with these folks and shares the gospel story with them, and the Spirit just descends on Cornelius' house on everybody in the room. And Peter's, you know, you can imagine his, his, his take back was, because he saw, he saw this at Pentecost already, and here it's happening to Gentiles, to these evil Gentiles. And Peter, you must, you got to realize, you know, his, whoa, God's up to something here. God's at work here, and I can't get in the way of that. I've got to get with it, and that's your and our choice. We, we can either get with what he's doing or get in the way of what he's doing. 
And Peter says, I, I got to move here with what God's doing. And he changed from a heart of judgment to a heart of compassion for the Gentile people. Um, here's the truth. And this, is, this is the challenge Peter faced and the challenge you and I face. When we get our own positions and our own opinions and our own agendas out of the way long enough, we'll start to see God at work in a lot of things around us. But we seldom see it if we've got our own way and our own agenda and our own idea and our own method to do it. We'll seldom see it. But we can get those things out of the way, and that's what Peter had to do. I've got to lay, lay my Jewish heritage and all these isms that I've been taught as a young Jewish boy, I've got to lay these aside because God wants, to take me, wants me, not just me to observe it, but wants me to be involved in taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He had to lay all that down, lay his agenda and, his, and the very things he meant, lay his background, lay his traditions down at the feet. So, a different view is hard to see without a relationship, though. Look, at, look uh, drop down in verse 48 so he, of, of, of Acts chapter 10. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, meaning Peter was no longer off-put and, and, and intimidated by Gentile presence. He wanted to hang out with them. He wanted a relationship with them. And this was unheard of. I mean, this was, this was heresy among Jewish people. To, be in, to even be in the Gentiles' home, much less stay with them, and there, share, break bread with them at their table. And he breaks down all these mores and all these Jewish norms and customs in doing so. And says, listen, I want, not, not only do I want to tell you Jesus loves you, I want to live with you. I want to, I want, I want to relate to you. I want to get to know you better so that so I, can, I, can, I can hear and understand your way and I can better know how to share the gospel with, with your Gentile friends. Um, different views, hard to see without a relationship. It's hard to see without a relationship. Relationship earns the right to be heard. Uh, why is that so? Here, here's why. Because love always speaks louder than anger. Love always speaks louder than judgment. Love always speaks louder than bitterness. Love always speaks, it speaks louder than anything else we can speak. Love speaks louder than those things. That's, that's why you and I need to look through a different lens. That's why we need to see people around us in, with a different view is love and compassion is the loudest language we can speak. It speaks louder than you need to repent. You know what the truth is? They probably need to repent. But the other truth is we do too. And we all need repentance and we all need grace. That's why compassion should be easier for the Christian than for anybody else because we've received it. It's been poured into us far beyond what any of us deserve. It should it not be easier for us to give away having received his compassion, having received grace, having been the recipient of his love and of his mercy. Should it not be easier for us to see that and the need in others' lives for that themselves? Yes, it should. But it's hard to do if we look through a lens of judgment. It's hard to do if we look through a lens where it's truth only. Is truth still truth? Sure it is. But if it's only truth, and if it's only judgment, They'll never come to Christ unless they see some compassion and love for us. Now, that's hard to do. And you say, how does that, Tim, what's that look like practically? Let me give you this. I'm going to give you my opinion about this. And this is, this is I think, in, in tune with Scripture, but I don't read in Scripture specifically. But I'm going to give you my opinion about this. I think it is easier to live boldly, collectively, and compassionately, individually. What do I mean by that? I think it's easier for us to, 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 to glean a, a bold spirit and a bold witness and a bold influence in our culture as the body of Christ. Can we do that individually? Yes, we can. But we do it far better as the body of Christ because we draw strength from each other, the Scripture says. And it's far easier to express compassion, certainly through relationship, individually, person to person to person. 
rather than to cast judgment on a, on a sect, on a belief, on a, on, a, on a culture, on an idea of society that we are, it, it looks like us against them. But if I know somebody who's lost, if I know somebody who's struggling with sin, if I know somebody who's in adultery, if I know somebody who's, who's in homosexuality, if I, know, if I have relationship, it's far easier for me to give compassion. If I don't have relationship, it's easy for me to stand, up, stand in the church, us collectively together and say, you know what, that's wrong. You know what, it is wrong. But you know what they need? They need to see the love of Jesus. They need to see what's right instead of just hear what's wrong. And what's right is he loves them just like he has us. He forgives them just like he has us. He wants to know them just like he does us. We have received that from him. We need to learn to give that away. And I think that's easier one-to-one. I think that's easier in relationship than it is collectively as the body. I think boldness is far easier in the body than it is one-to-one. But compassion and showing the love of Jesus is far easier one-to-one. So what does that say? It says this. I would encourage you to seek relationship to somebody you're not comfortable with. Is that hard? Yeah, it's really hard. To seek, to seek relationship with somebody you're not only not comfortable with, you don't agree with. And it may be somebody at work. It may be somebody that God's already placed in your world that you've, so far, it's been one of these. Hope that works out for you, but I'm over here. You can stay over there, I'm over here. Until we, until we can push into someone else's life and realize, listen, God's poured grace all over me, and he's calling me to pour grace all over them. Until we can realize that in relationship, in relationship, um, that's, that's a difficult thing to bring about. Nobody will stand before you. Um, and and, and I, please, please hear my heart here. Nobody will stand before you against homosexuality more than me, more than your pastor. But I also want to let you know that I've, there's been two homosexuals live with us in our home over the years. Why? Because I knew them. And I wanted to love them. And I wanted them to see, here's what Jesus says. And here's what I believe. But here's what love looks like. Here's what it looks like. Here's what, here's, it looks like me bringing you into my home, knowing this about you. Bringing you into my home and allowing you to, to break bread with my family and because I care about you. And, and I knew the persons. I, mean, I knew these individuals and I knew them ahead of time. And so I care about you and I care about your soul as much as I care about your way of life. And so God's called me and commanded me to do that. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. Parts about that you just don't like. Parts about that that are, that are unpleasant, that are sometimes seeming, seemingly unsafe and unsavory. But that's what God's called us to do. That's what a bold and compassionate faith does. Now, uh, I'm not that way all the time. I'm not that way as much as I need to be, probably nor are you. But that's what he's called us to. He's called us to live boldly and proclaim boldly the truth of the scripture. But he's called us to also live with a compassionate heart full of grace and full of mercy, pouring out into somebody else's life what's been poured into us. Who of us here deserves that? Who here today deserves what, what God has done for you, what he's offered you? None of us. Uh, it's, it's not a matter of what we deserve. It's a matter of his grace is far beyond our, 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 our willingness even to accept it sometimes, but far beyond what we deserve. Uh, but, but love always speaks louder than judgment. It always speaks louder than anger. It always speaks louder than bitterness. And that speaks louder in relationship than it does collectively to say, you know what, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Well, guess what? I'm wrong too about some things. So walking in balance is a hard thing to do. 
for some, depending on our personality, compassion comes far easier. If you're, if you're a person who just is all about mercy, and that's your spiritual gift, well, compassion is going to come easy for you. Boldness is going to be a challenge. If you're a person that has the gift of prophecy or the gift of truth-telling, or the gift, boldness is going to come easy for you. Here's what needs to be done here in this situation. You're going to see it and proclaim it. And compassion is going to be more of a challenge for you. It's a challenge for me. I'm going to tell you, compassion and mercy, it's hard for me because I'm a, I'm a truth-teller. I mean, I'll, I, given any situation in life, I can cut to the truth pretty quick and see to it pretty quick. I don't know whether that's a gift or, or a curse but because I, I struggle with compassion. I struggle with mercy, but I'm called to it. And I know that I am. So where does that leave us here? Where does, what, what, what does missional living look like? What's that look like? This idea of, of God having a plan for us, a purpose for us, a, a, his, his will for us, design for us. Before we were in the womb, he says, I had design for you. Having, having, having a purpose and design and plan for us, walking in his ways, seeing the ways he speaks to me and works with, with me through God's spirit, through his word. What does all that look like with skin on? I believe all that looks like with skin on is boldness and compassion lived by the same person, lived by, in the same way and with the same individuals, regardless of environment, regardless of circumstance, regardless of culture, regardless of setting, whether we're in church, whether at work, whether at the store, whether at the ball field, regardless of setting, regardless of environment, it looks like a bold and compassionate faith at the same time. Now, that's going to have some specific nature, as we've looked at in these last several weeks, to you. God is going to specifically work in you and through you, the way he's wired you, the schematic that he's put inside of you. So it's going to look different person to person. Well, what should be synonymous, I think, with each of us is a bold and compassionate faith, regardless of specifically what that looks like. That's what he's called us to. Are we willing to do that? I want to challenge you today to take this handout home. Or you may, you may have already started jotting it down today. My mission statement is, or, or that, that blank line there on the bottom of your handout, I want you to begin today to start a process that may need some tweaking over time, but to start a process that today that says, understanding what I know today about me today and understanding what I've seen in the scripture over these last several weeks, and if you missed the message, go download it. Understanding what I've seen in the scripture these last several weeks about what God says about this and what he says about this, I know that's for me. I know that's truth. Understanding how he's wired me and what my bent is, what my, what my desires and passions are, knowing what I know today, and GAP's going to be a great tool if you've never been through that class, Great tool for that. But understanding what I know today, here's what I believe my mission is. Here's what my life's mission is supposed to be about. I want to challenge you to be able to, 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 to put feet to that, not just put, it, put pen to paper to it. That's great, writing it down, but living it out. Can you sense, I hope you can sense, my hatred for mediocrity. And that's, that's, that's my life mission, is to push people out of mediocrity and into passion for Jesus. To be passionate about his word, passionate about living for him, passionate about raising families for him, passionate about handling money that brings glory to him, passionate about raising kids that, that are godly, that, that's not just selling for this is as good as it's ever going to get. I hate that. Can you feel that? I hate that. And that's, that's, that's my call and mission in life. And I hope that comes through. That should come through, that, that sense of what you ever write down on that blank, in, in, in the blank on your handout today, that should come through. It should start to, to ooze out of your conversation a little bit. It should start to work its way into your, into your decision-making a little bit. So if this is the first time in life, in your Christian life, you've ever, anybody's ever said, you know what? We are to live missionally. We're to live with a designed, God-given purpose and plan and put that into action. There is a mission for each of us. What is mine? If nobody's ever challenged you with that today, I want you today, you begin to take the first step to say, knowing what I know today, here's what I think that is. 
You may tweak it over the months and years and decades to come. But understanding about myself, what I know about myself today, here's what I believe God's call for me is. Here's what I believe my mission is supposed to be about today. I want you to, to, to if you want to go ahead and write it down today, write it down today, but revisit that this week. Stick it in your, in your Bible and pull it back out or stick it on the counter or stick it on your refrigerator to let that be a challenge to you to figure out, I need to live missionally. My life matters far more and makes a far greater influence if I'm living missionally, if I'm living intentionally, rather than just kind of, whatever, you know, God, come in, do whatever you want to do with me. That's great. But you know what he says, as we've looked, as we've looked these last weeks, he starts to do more as we start to move, not as we step back and analyze, not as we write down all the third reasons that I can't do this, and I can't. As we start to move and put feet on what we already know, he starts to say, yeah, this is all about you. It's heading this direction. No, not that door, that closed. And you start to see in, in real life and in real time what that looks like. I want to encourage you to put feet to that. Put it pencil to paper and then start to put feet to it. You'll see God start to do some things in your life that's going to blow you away. And you, you're going to figure out, I wish somebody told me this 20 years ago. I wish somebody would have challenged me with this decades ago. My life could have had far greater influence than it's had I'm wondering if I stand before him one of these days, will anybody else be there because of me? If he asks me, is anybody here? Did you bring anybody with you? I wonder what my answer will be. If I'm living missionally, you know what the answer that's going to be? Absolutely. Here's several. Here's a few more. If we're living missionally, there will be influence. We will influence a, a dark and gray culture with, our, with, with the love of Jesus and the bold faith that says, here's truth, and I believe it, and I want to apply it to our culture, but I love you, and I want to show you that. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.